Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. We are thrilled to be presenting a seven-part series with our fantastic partner, Maze Row Wine Merchant. We are proud to present this series of interviews, diving deep into the heritage and legacy of Maze Row's excellent Italian producers. Tune in every Saturday from March 5th through to April 16th as we take an intimate look at these respected historic producers and their role as part of the Maze Row family of luxury wines. And remember to check out our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for incredible video content featuring a visit to Argiano. Hello and welcome. My name is John Irwin, and I am here with Maisrel Wine Merchant. We are an importer in the United States, world-class producers with an uncompromising devotion to craft, and we are honored to share the stories of our producers. And that's precisely what we'll do here today. Pietro Ratti of the Ratti Winery is with us, and I'm proud to say our history with Ratti dates back to 2014 when our importer began. The Ratti name is one of the most famous in Barolo. In the early 1960s, Renato Rotti returned to his native Piedmont after 10 years working in Cinzano, for Cinzano in Brazil and France. And with regional knowledge but a global perspective, he purchased a small lot of, plot of land in the village of Lamora and set up a makeshift winery in the abandoned 14th century Abbey dell'Annunziata. It was there in 1965 where he made his first crew wine called Marchinasco after a historical name for the region. And around that same time, Renato made the first map of the Barolo cruise, effectively introducing the commercial idea of terroir to Italian wine. Renato passed away in 1988. His son, Pietro, who's with us today, took over the estate at just 20 years old and has been the winemaker for more than 30 years. And Pietro has continued his father's vision of elegant Lamora Barolo, but has evolved the winery in fascinating ways. Pietro, thank you for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on and talking a little bit about your family's heritage and the winery. So let's start with the obvious question. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, first of all, do you hear me? Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, John. Nice to, nice to hear you too. I'm doing well. We are just approaching Vinitaly, so we're almost getting uh, our suitcases, uh, suitcases ready. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty chaotic time. I'm, <laughs> I had to, to stretch to do some laundry today myself, so I will see you there. I can't wait. Well, let's start from the beginning, if you don't mind. Can you talk a little bit about the history of your state? And, and specifically, what I'd love to hear is what Barolo was like in the 1960s and 70s. Of course, you weren't around for a lot of that, um, or you were very young, but I, I think the audience here would benefit from a historical perspective. Uh, yeah, it was, of course, was much more different than today. Of course, you know, like any other region, probably wine region in the world, uh, Barolo was an important region because Barolo was already famous wine. Uh, but of course, uh, the the what happened in the last 50 years has been, you know, it's a huge, you know, uh, big, big change. My father came from a not a family of, of uh, vintners because my grandfather was a, a veterinarian. My great grandfather was a doctor. So he had a totally different, he was raised with a different uh, background, but he studied winemaking. And uh, as you said in the, in the introduction, yes, it's right. He went to Brazil, but while he was in Brazil making vermouth, he, he was always thinking about coming back. And of course, his dream was to make uh, 
to make Barolo because he grew up here. So he knew, you know, he went to school in the wine school in Alba. So, you know, all his friends, some of them were making wine, or Conterno, you know, the Conternos, you know, the families, or the Bruno Giacosa, you know. So, so when he came back in uh, 1965, after uh, also visiting a couple of regions, you know, in France, especially including, of course, Bordeaux and Burgundy, he realized that here was really the, 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 play, the right place to, to, to make the change, you know. He was the man who made a change in Barolo and, of course, Barbaresco, and then, of course, uh, the, the Piemonte region back in that time. Again, influenced by, by regions of, of France where they were much more ahead at that time compared to here. Here was more, a little bit behind, you know, like Italy was behind in general. You know, other people in uh, Tuscany, like including, the, uh, you know, especially Piero Antinori or, or um, Incisa della Rocchetta with Sassicaia. So it was a time that was a really the, the time of a change. Okay, People, they wanted to to make a change, and they were waiting for leaders to play the role of leaders. And my father play, was the right person at the right time, at the right place. Okay, So he really became the leader of the change of, of Barolo. What specifically is that change in your words? And, and specifically what I'm interested in is, you know, I had mentioned that your father drew that first map of Cruz and terroir is, of course, important. But stylistically, what was wine like in Barolo in the 1960s and 70s? And what was the style of wine that your father was making or interested in making? Well, the, 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 main, the main change, of course, a big change that includes, again, it's not just the, just Barolo, but, you know, follows another wines in, in, in the rest of Italy. But, of course, we talk about the, the, the most important regions of the wine regions in Italy was the quality versus quantity. So back at the time, uh, Barolo was just a, a, a name to put on the label, okay? <laughs> My father said, no, we don't have to put a name on the label. We need to make a, 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 a wine that has to be the wine that uh, worldwide, if we put this bottle of wine in, on a table, we can really compete to the, the best uh, Bordeaux or, or uh, Burgundy. Uh, so he really changed the style of winemaking, making you know uh, more um, elegant uh, quality um, in the, in that way. Starting from the vineyard, going to the bottle. So the bottle was really the you know the, the technique uh, the, te- the the technique he introduced was really to uh, to to make more quality wine. With introduces also stainless steel tanks. Temperature control fermentation, malolactic control, okay, to have wines cleaner, uh, elegant, uh, more um, really with a different style compared to that the time. I think that piece is really interesting. And what I, what I really find is so fascinating about it is this idea of modern Barolo, traditional Barolo. But at the time, that was not really something people were talking about so much. And what your father did was really bring just a cleaner style of winemaking, which has benefited all Barolo producers, regardless of how they may define themselves as sort of a Piemonte Pinot. One, one little factoid that I found really interesting, I've, I've read this book, Pietro, I mentioned it to you, Barolo Tar and Roses, which was published in 1990. And I believe 
Is this true that your father worked with Diego Conterno on those first bottlings of Marchinasco and his first couple of vintages? Don't know who, who you refer to. No, I think he, he was really in those, uh, that time was really, um, he worked here in the Abbey to make this, uh, this wine. And as you are saying also, basically he was uh, looking to the Barolo, not just a wine to wait for, for 30 years. Okay, so very over tannic, but a wine with more class, more elegancy, and and also with the with the so wine with fresher, more more flora, more more uh, wines that you can you could also appreciate a little bit younger than than to wait wait of course for a long time. That was uh, stylistically, and then of course as you're saying, uh, the, the the biggest biggest also. Uh, uh, improve was also the, the 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 concept of single vineyards, which opened up a huge uh, transformation of, of the whole uh, perception of the Barolo and Barbaresco and all the Piemonte wines. Yeah, there was a there was a quote after your father passed away, I believe from Angelo Gaia, who said that the official recognition of the cruise, if your father was still alive, would probably happen in about five years. But as it was. He was confident it would eventually happen, but I don't believe it happened until the 1990s. Is that accurate? Yes, and then officially, officially, it was 2010 when the map of my father were recognized by the official appellation Barolo uh, with mapping the old single. Of course, the map was made by all the old producers. Was is is much you know the MGA. Uh, map is a, is a much wider, you know, uh, includes all the different single vineyards. While my father only mentioned the the the, the historical uh, top ones, and also he made, as you know, the the first classification. Because they never forget that it. it's not just the the ideally uh, vineyards, but it's also the to put like a really classification of quality, which is really the Burgundy. More the Burgundy style of of uh, uh, c- categorizing the the vineyards, you know, like a Grand Cru and and Premier Cru, which is a concept of even today, fifty years later, we are not uh, we don't even talk about, you know, <laughs> it's like a, <laughs> it's something that is very difficult in Italy to talk about something that uh, includes a, a, an idea of of a class ob- objective classification. Yeah, it's a charged topic. And and you mentioning the map currently of the MGAs, or as you call them, megas, which is effectively the crews. There's no classification like Grand Cru and Premier Cru, just like you said. But your father famously did indicate which of the vineyards he felt like were Grand Cru vineyards. So they were vineyards like Canubi and Roque dell'Annunziata. Your father, I believe, was the first to make a wine bottled and labeled Roque dell'Annunziata, as well as the first to bot- label a wine Conca in the early 1970s. Those today are your two single crew wines. Would you mind talking a little bit about Roque dell'Annunziata and Conca? both historically and, and just quality-wise from a wine perspective? Uh, yes, these are two vineyards very different. I mean, uh, they if you, have, if you have the chance to taste side by side, you really get the concept of, of cru, you know, of single vineyard. So may, wine is made quite in a similar way because vinification is very, is very, very gentle, so not, not impacting at all. Uh, the style of wine, but uh, the soil is slightly different. I mean, we are, there are 
less than uh, it's like one kilometer apart and uh, microclimate is different and soil is slightly different and the wines are very very different because Rocca d'Annunziata is one of the most floral elegant refined world class high high class type of uh, of uh, typical Barolo from La Morra. So, you know, very floral. Again, the nose is fantastic, you know, more Burgundian style. And then Conca, which is a little vineyard down below the winery. Just, oh, it, but even the name, they're, they're, they they reflect the style of wine. Rocca da Muzzata, Rocche is a, is a, in Italian means a cliff, steep hill. So you 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 can uh, you you have to understand that in the Rocche, you know, a lot of erosion. So the soil is really pure, very very uh, pure and poor, pure and poor. So uh, it gives this very very gentle touch to the wine. And then conca is the opposite. It's like a, conca means in Italian a, a, con, a conch, like a bowl. So we are at the bottom of the hill, and uh, so the soil is is a little is a little richer. So we get a Barolo. Less floral, more uh, more more dark. We say darker fruit, more black licorice, uh, a little bit more concentrated. So it's really uh, very fascinating. They what they made my father really so into the single vineyard, you know, because when you make wine and you and you make wines uh, that they, they, they by tasting when they are you know in early stage. And it tastes so so different. It's a it's a dream for a winemaker, you know, to be able to have those wines so distinct and keep them distinct until the end and bottle them separately, you know. And, and then Biolo, my father realized when when he first you know made it in, in 1965 Marchenasco, you know, and then, then lately Conquer Rock, he said, "Ma." The Nebbiolo is is a unique grape, and and the and it's not the best way to keep them separately because they are you know very very top, very good producer. They they like to blend them. Even a blend is a very sophisticated uh, way of of uh, approaching Nebbiolo. Nebbiolo is a very sophisticated grape, makes incredible high class wines, and so any anything you 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 do, of course, in our uh, style again is to to keep them separately, but then again uh, you can you can blend them, and it's really a, a unique. Uh, as a winemaker, uh, I can only say I'm lucky because uh, you know we have this uh, very very uh, challenging situation of you know making these wines and 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 make them and you know wines that in an early stage you can decide what to do, and then after you know you, they can age for so long, you know they they and they keep developing in time in bottle so it's a i feel like a privilege really to make uh, this this type of wines in this uh, in this place yeah it's astonishing uh, a beautiful place amazing wines so i talked about the two famous crews that you work with conca and roca de la but i guess it's probably good for me to zoom out a little bit and talk about the commune that both of those crews or mgas are located which is the commune of la mora can you talk about the commune of Lamora, which is where your bottling Marchanasco comes from, and how those Barolos may differ from other communes in the Barolo region? Yes. First of all, the Barolo region, um, for people maybe they don't know, it's, a, it's about 2,000 hectares of land, and uh, it's 11 communes. So it's not just one village. It's 11 small, tiny villages La Morra is the is the, lar- the largest commune. Twenty five percent of the old Barolo is made in La Morra. So that mean, what does it mean? It means that uh, 
Uh, in La Mora, there are several, I mean, several, a few subzones. We have, first of all, we have two sides. Uh, I mean, we have three sides of La Mora. One side is the valley that goes, uh, that goes down from La Mora and faces Castiglione Falletto. So it's, it's where it includes Annunziata, where I am located, when, and where uh, Conca and Rocca Annunziata are located, the vineyards, and, and, uh, and part of the Marcenasco, of course. And uh, so at the altitude, La Mora is, is also the highest peak. La Mora goes uh, uh, more than 500 meters altitude. So to give you, uh, uh, where, where the winery is located, where these vineyards are located, is about 300 meters down. So we have, uh, it's really a, a, a unique slope with different uh, hill. It's a hilly side, different, uh, we call like, to use the word lange, which means in uh, Lange means uh, uh, in uh, lingua tongues because so different tongues they can, <laughs> they they make this unique uh, view also from from La Mora from the peak you see all these ling- these long hills going down and uh, the soil we have it is classic uh, blue uh, soil we have to remember that here we were uh, it's uh, all the soil here is uh, is uh, uh, was the bottom of a sea. So it's a sea origin soil. So it was a deposit of the bottom of a sea. So it's a, it's a calcareous, salty. Our uh, soil is more blue, blue style, that makes the Barolo from La Mora more elegant. That's in general, that's the, the style of the, of the Barolo from La Mora. More elegant, more approachable when it's young. At the same time, it can, it can, you can also... Keep it for for many years, but that depends, of course, of the, of the vintage, of the vinification, of many many aspects, of course. But what makes the the Barolo from from La Mora different from, let's say, Monforte or Serra Lunga is really the soil that makes the wine here more elegant. In other communes, uh, maybe more more tannic or even more tight, so that it takes a little bit more more time to open up when when the wines are. Are young and my winery is uh, again is uh, all my vineyards are in La Mora. So lately, I also purchased some vineyard to be a higher altitude. Uh, first of all, for for uh, to be uh, ready for this um, a change of climate, so to have something also a little bit cool in cooler spots, and also to uh, to expand also in a direction of also working vineyards in a, in a, in other single vineyards. So we've talked, uh, I want, I want to just touch on that really quickly. Um, can you tell us about that crew that you're going to, that you're working with now that's new to the winery? Yes. It's a new, it's a new vineyard I, I purchased in, um, in, uh, 2018, uh, but the first vintage on a single vineyard will be 2019. It's called Serra Denari. It's quite high. It's a 450 meters. Facing uh, south, but uh, uh, compared to here, where um, all our vineyards in in, in Annunziata, so Conca, let's say Conca and, and Rocca d'Annunziata, they are inside of this valley of of uh, that goes to Barolo. That one, uh, the Serra Denari, is facing the mountains, so the other side, and it's fantastic. It's really beautiful. You have these uh, we call the Piemonte Alps, really beautiful. They give a special breeze to here, I mean, to these vineyards, and and uh, the, the view is, uh, is is really beautiful. When I, when I first went there, I didn't know the vineyard. When they, when they offered this vineyard to me, I saw it. I said, "Wow, 
this is a place to live. <laughs> I would move uh, to live here because the view on the mountains is spectacular. And then, and this is a ball or some amphitheater that, that facing south with this um, uh, looking the the, the the mountains again. And uh, the soil is similar to to uh, down here, but uh, the the climate is different. So here we talk about microclimate because in 200 meters the climate is different so the wine is different because more because of the climate uh, rather than the soil so very very fascinating so when i saw it i say yeah let's i want to challenge to make a, a, a also another single vineyard up uh, up to this to this level and it's really very 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 it happened i mean i'm very very uh happy it's a wine Compared to the to the vineyards down at 300 meters, it's a little bit more. It's a higher, cooler, so more nervous. Okay, elegant but nervous. Fantastic. Very, 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 uh, uh, very, very nice. I'm very, very happy to to um, to make that wine. Took uh, again one year just to understand a little bit more the vineyard, and we are still learning about the vineyard because when you when you get a vineyard of of Nebbiolo. In our region, uh, uh, already planted, of course, very good planting, plantation, you know, uh, 30 years old and more, so fantastic. But still, uh, needs uh, is a, is a, for us uh, some um, how you say experience to understand, you know, because every every vintner has his own uh, approach to a vineyard. So you need to make the vineyard following what you <laughs> want to to get out of the vineyard. Okay. So it's very important to. Uh, it takes some time, you know, a few, a few, uh, three, four years, just to uh, adjust the vineyard. It's like a person, no? You have to <laughs> to follow what what you want to get from out of the vineyard. So and it's still um, we're still working on that, and we get. Uh, but we're very, very happy about uh, from the first vintage about the the result. I'm really excited to taste the wine. 2019 is when that when your first bottling is going to come out. And the wines I've had from Sarah Denari have, like you said, a, a, a nervous energy to them, a tension or a spine. And uh, I'm so excited to get a chance to taste that bottling. I think it's going to be incredible. We've talked about vineyards. We've talked about the region. We've talked about your father and we've talked about his influence. What I'd like to do is talk specifically about you, actually. And I, I'm interested in that time period in the late 80s and early 90s. You were just 20 when you took over your father's estate. How did you manage that transition? Transitions are never easy, but um, are always made by people. So in any any situation, you know, so uh, for me, I have my cousin Massimo, that uh, Massimo Martinelli worked with my father for many years. So he was really a good uh, person to, to move the, the, the winer from my father to me. It was my partner and my, uh, and my cousin. And uh, so it was a very good, uh, then I had a, a staff in the cellar also very, very important because, you know, they, again, wineries are made by people. So, so you need to have a good uh, staff to, to react because when, 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 a, when a, a very important person like my father, he passed away with, was, uh, young and but very energetic, so he was controlling everything. It's very important that you have the staff also uh, not falling apart, you know, <laughs> like uh, to be all uh, uh, concerned about. And of course, you know, uh, the people that wanted to be uh, to follow, you know, to keep going. And and the best way is to keep going what uh, what my father used to do. Of course, then by time you realize you 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 adapt uh, 
you know, techniques, you change, you know, there, uh, wine is not something you, uh, you, you make the same for, for 50 years. Of course, you maintain uh, the, the, the inspiration, you maintain the, you know, what, what represents for your family, your, uh, the name of your winery, but then you need to adapt also so, to so many changes that you need to always to be open and, uh, and uh, and ready also to to adapt, you know. So it's very very uh, important to um, to be open for uh, for for changes. And of course, was a, for me that was was not easy. I tell you the truth at the beginning because I was twenty. You know, I didn't want to to work at twenty. You know, <laughs> in the <laughs> in the I wanted to have fun. But uh, but life uh, sometimes is not like uh, you are planning, and so they said to me, "No, you you must work." And I said, "Okay, let's." Uh, what does it What does it mean, work? <laughs> you have to work. Okay, okay, let's try that because I was, of course, I was trained to be a winemaker, but I was still young. I mean, I I studied winemaking, but to study, I wanted my father wanted me to go to to study in maybe you you UC Davis. He wanted to, me to to expand a little bit the um, the knowledge also in other, or experience in other places. But but anyway, you know, life is uh, you need to always to get uh, what life offers to you. So um, uh, I think uh, I did well. I also try to make always to keep always the the winery in a, in a good good way, good position, and and uh, expanded with when, when when I could with. I bought the first vineyard. I was 22 years old, with some money my father left to me, and I went to my brother. I remember, and I said, "Ma, he was at the time he was staying in Milano, living in Milano. My brother was studying there. I said, "Ma, why we have to buy vineyards?" He said, "Ma, I think it's better to buy vineyards, but all of vineyards now than later." And he said, "No, no, I think you're crazy." I said, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> so. From from that time on, uh, uh, so I, I invested any everything I, I I got from my father. I invested every euro, every at the point at that time was lira into vineyards because I thought uh, that was the was a time to to uh, because also remember when I, when my father passed away, we used to buy eighty percent of our grapes. That was very mm. that was very common. All the wineries in the region they were like that. We were buying grapes from all our neighbors, and I said, "But this is not the. I think it's. I think uh, something's gonna change. We need to buy more vineyards." And and from that uh, day going on, I, I uh, I'm still buying. Uh, I bought the last vineyard uh, two days ago, so it's still a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a small piece. A small piece. Can you, uh, can you but talk about uh, where that vineyard is? No, I just no, but it's, I I buy no. all the time, but not in Barolo. I mean, uh, Barolo uh, is now untouchable. I bought some pieces around, you know. Uh, I, sure. I I keep buying uh, when there is an, an. I like I like land. I think it, at the end is always uh, something that uh, remains. So I don't buy ha- homes, or houses, but I, I love I like to buy to buy land anyway. So and also I tell you also something more that uh, when I. When I when my father passed away, also was a time of was a, a time of a big changes also in the in the in the Barolo zone that uh, my father he just when he passed I didn't see really that big change that was happening because um, was more in the nineties passed away in eighty eight and there was more the Barolo boys movement so you know small barrels uh, big big change. And I realized myself there was a time that we just needed, you know, when you feel like you're not, uh, 
I was too young for that, uh, for that uh, movement. So I said, Ma, it's better if we, if we keep it. You know, we, <laughs> I realized I, was, I, I couldn't play that in that, uh, in that uh, moment because also, you know, my father had also a big, very big personality. So I just said, Ma, it's better if we, if we uh, invest by vineyards, you know, we prepare and then it's going to be a, another, you know, a better time uh, later. So, and that was a smart move also to maintain our direction, you know, and, uh, and then to be able then later on also to expand uh, uh, more also our, uh, our uh, bottles, but also our labels, our image as well. So it was, uh, at that time, I was not ready to play, to play in that time. My, my, I felt like the, the time was to wait, okay? So yeah, anything was absolutely. My, my impression is that, you know, when they talk about modern or traditional Barolo, which I think that argument is reductive these days anyway, but speaking of that Barolo boys moment, what um, has struck me about Rati is there's always been a middle path with Rati. There has been some traditional practices, but a fair bit of innovation, always with a mind towards better quality and more terroir. And I think that continues today which uh, is resulting in really, really fabulous wines, Pietro. You talked about transition. Uh, you talked about some of this vineyard land. I know Rati today is 100% estate. When did the change in the Barolo go from buying wine to then being 100% estate fruit? Uh, there was a progress, you know, little, uh, little by little, uh, it, it takes a little bit of time because, you know, you need to get more vineyards. And so, but uh, I think already in about in the year 2000, we were all, uh, almost all, um, 20 years ago, we were almost all, um, maybe we're all 100% estate uh, Barolo, mm. Barolo growers. So, um, uh, it's not a, a big, a big, um, even if you buy grapes, it's not a big problem. If you buy, like, for instance, Occhetti, my, my, you know, the Nebbiolo that we make, you know, the Lange Nebbiolo Occhetti, mm-hmm. uh, we don't have a lot of vineyards there. We predominantly buy grapes from, uh, from growers that we've been buying since 1969. So, and it's fantastic like that. So if you have the right suppliers of grapes, that you know you've been uh, working with them for a long time, and and they, and it goes well like that. They, they you know they work like you want, and you help them. They help you. You know it's it works really well. For Barolo, it's a different story because we were able to have more vineyards here, and we of course we focus on the Barolo. So, but even if you have a good suppliers uh, dedicated to the vineyards, they make grapes as you want. Uh, it's a re- you can really get uh, good grapes. Of course, you need to follow them. And uh, because uh, it's very, very important to follow what uh, what they do. But um, and, and there is still a lot of producers who buy top, top, uh, top grapes in the in, in the area. It's very important to have reliable suppliers for a long and, 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 and by time you really build, build up a, a very, very strong uh, uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. Of course, we before we in the when my father passed away again we were buying eighty percent of our grapes now we buy twenty uh, percent again mostly in the in the 
in, 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 the, in the Nebbiolo, Chetti and uh, Barbera Dasti because I have also some suppliers around uh, in Consigliore Dasti but that's the but, of, but uh, and it works well like that works well like sure. that yeah, it's, it's astonishing to think of buying grapes from the same suppliers for 50, more than 50 years now. 2019 was your 50th anniversary vintage of the Lange Nebbiolo. It's amazing. Um, yeah, and, and it's a yeah. nice story also behind the wine, because as you probably know, John, also we, we behind the wine, you know, there was this uh, very good, uh, I always tell the story about, you know, my, my, the good the good friendship about from, between my father and, and Bruno Giacosa. And they, they, Bruno at the time helped my father to find uh, these uh, families, the suppliers of grapes. And, uh, and he said in the Roero land, you know, the other side of the other Tunnel River. And uh, and uh, my father was was already making Barolo, and, and he was searching for grapes in that, in that area because he knew that, you know, you could make a, a Nebbiolo different from Barolo, you know, a little bit, you know, more even light, lighter in a good way, you know, that you could drink younger. And so he uh, he went to Bruno. Bruno said, Ah, Renato, I show you some, you know, uh, some very good vineyards with these families. And then there is only one thing that uh, the, that they also make Arnais, but. And Bruno said, I, I buy Arnais from them, you buy Nebbiolo from them. We share, <laughs> <laughs> shake hands. <laughs> and it's fantastic because since then, we talk about 1969, we do the same. We don't, we don't buy, he buys, they buy. Now, uh, of course, Bruna now, not his, uh, her father anymore, but they still buy uh, Arnais from the same families that we buy Nebbiolo. And it's a fantastic story. So in 50 years, no contract, nothing, shake hands between uh, friends, and it goes well like that. So it's a very nice story of uh, how, you know, uh, relationships and also, you know, uh, how uh, this region is also made of nice stories, no? <laughs> yeah, this, this uh, tradition of fellowship that helps build the whole region. And something I think your father embodied just it was, was so... Uh, he was such an important ambassador for the region as a whole. And, but, you know, I'm so interested in the wines that you're making now and how those wines have changed over the decades. You mentioned in an article for Wine Spectator that you've taken a more empirical approach to winemaking. And I think that really shows, especially in recent vintages. Um, can you talk about how winemaking has changed for you over the decades, taking over a 20 years old, of course, but you know, you've been the winemaker now for more than 30 years. What has changed in 30 years for you? Uh, I think what changed is not uh, uh, me and it's not the winemaking based on me, but it's based on, on what we have outside. And when I say this means uh, climate. Okay. So climate change is a, it's, a, it's not a, a, just a way to say something, but it's a, it's a real, real uh, big, big change that we are following. And so as a way maker, it's not just me, all my friends also, you need to adapt, uh, your vinification to what's happening outside. Okay. So if in, uh, in the nineties was easy. Okay. In the eighties, uh, the, the main problem was rain. So we had to adapt to the rain, you know, uh, no grass, uh, taking the leaves away, trying to, um, so it was really, uh, the, the, you know, the fall was very challenging. Now it's the opposite. We have the sun. So we need to, 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 to try to, uh, we need to uh, hide 
the grace from the sun, you know, uh, and so it's a, it's a big, big, big uh, challenging time. So, and it's a, it's changing through, through time. So you adapt your reunification 2003 was probably the, the, the I would say the turning point, the, it was really the, the the big challenging year. You remember it was super hot. We were not we, we were totally unprepared. So we burned. We cooked our grapes uh, under the sun all over Europe because we didn't know how to uh, approach. Especially I'm talking about the cool, uh, you know, the the north the north the north Earth uh, latitude places. And after that, we realized that something was changing, and that was really a, a, a big change for us. It opened up our eyes. Of course, before we already had like 2000, we had the 97, we had 1990 already, but not at the level as as a 2003. And and suddenly from that time on, we we started to realize we need to to adapt our viticulture to this big change. And and remember, uh, winemaking is always following the the what's happening in the um, in the vineyard, so it's always an adaptation. You need to adapt. I mean, to change the 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 the, the, the winemaking if, if something changes outside, because uh, and that's the the main the main uh, that 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 really what what made me changing also this the um, vinification in the last years, and then I would say in the last really ten years. Uh, maybe even even uh, six years, seven years since maybe 2015, really a big change, big 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 change. But in the last, uh, uh, it's a progress. You know, you don't you when you when you have to adapt, you don't make a big uh, big change in uh, all of a sudden everything changes because also you need to. It's an adaptation of of what's changing, and it takes uh, slowly, you know, little steps. To reach a point that uh, you are really in a in a good uh, in a good way, but again, uh, the most important adaptation again is uh, or modification or just is is really the the vineyard agronomic aspects of the vineyards more than more than the winery. What are some of those things that you're doing in the vineyard that are helping with climate change? Of course, you need first of all grass. You know, a lot of grass. So we mow the grass. Mm. We keep the grass uh, between rows. We um, we leave more leaves to to create like a, almost like a kind of a of a of a hat or a cap. You know, you say, but you know, to protect the, the the grapes. We keep the grapes more inside the leaves that before we used to expose more the, the, the grapes to the outside of the leaves. And uh, lately we put uh, these uh, nets, which, uh, which, let's say the truth, the nets are they're born for, uh, uh, they're used for, uh, to protect from a uh, hail, which is our very big enemy for the, in, in the region we can have these very, very serious uh, hail storms. And but we put the nets also to protect from sun, so it's a very good um, to avoid uh, the sun um, sunburns from direct light. Uh, and all those elements are all uh, made to protect more and more and more the grapes because because at the end we want elegant, fresh wines. Okay, that's that's the characteristic of the wines from from Piemonte. We are in the latitude where we can make because of where we are, our climate, our soil, our grapes. We make incredible, fresh, elegant wines, and and we cannot destroy this uh, characteristic by by this uh, uh, change of the of the climate change. So that's that's mm. why we need to uh, to avoid uh, to go into that to change really the flavors 
the style of, uh, of, of wines only because it's too warm, too hot or too dry, we need to adapt. So that's why we need to, uh, that's, that's the way we, we, we do, basically. Yeah, speaking of elegant and fresh, I'm wondering if you can share a few notes on the 2018 vintage. That's what's current release of your Barolo. Can you tell us about the 2018 vintage, what people can expect from a style perspective with the wines? Yes, uh, uh, 2018, uh, it's interesting because very different from 2017. 2017 was uh, uh, more um, a, a hot vintage, warm vintage, but again, we handle it to make wines elegant. And it, when, when the wine is a more warm, you get wines a little bit more uh, opulent, uh, and the tanning a little bit uh, hard. Uh, but still in elegant style. Then 2018 was a fresh vintage, so beautifully uh, elegant and uh, and uh, very extremely elegant vintage. For me, it's like a, a really vintage um, from the, the the old days. I tasted some vintage from my father from the the 80s. Or, you know, uh, really very very nice. Uh, uh, type of vintage, very extremely elegant, fresh. Uh, of course, it's not a vintage with a lot of power, so you're not looking for power, but you're looking for finesse. A again, elegancy. It's not a vintage with a lot of color uh, in general. Of course, La Mora, we have less color than other villages, so if La Mora is le less color, this is also a vintage with not a lot of color, but with an incredible balance. You, I mean, you really drink it like uh, you can drink a bottle uh, uh, in one night, uh, in one person. <laughs> it's very, very uh, easy to drink, easy to like. It's already very well made now. Uh, how long it's going to age, we don't know because it's always early to say. But I think the balance is, uh, is going to be a surprise. I'm sure uh, it's going to be a surprise in the, in the long aging because it's really well, 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 well balanced. I, I loved the wine. I, I think it's ethereal. It's lifted. It's really beautiful. Very, very pretty. So I think um, I, I think you're absolutely spot on. I think 2018 is going to perform better in the bottle, maybe than people expect. But it is certainly a vintage that is really drinking well right now. So if you get a chance, please try that those 2018s, especially from Lamora, especially from Rati, because I, I find them to be incredibly elegant pietro I, I mean we use the word probably too much but there's no better way to describe these wines there's so so much finesse there is only only one problem of 18 is the quantity because the, the, the production has been a, a small uh, vintage in general even also 17 both 17 and 18 they were they've been quantity small because of the 17 because of the frost 18 because of the spring very wet so we lost a lot of uh, crop because of the disease in the early stage of the of the summer. So in general, it's a small uh, it's a small uh, crop. So that's the only the only main problem of of the vintage because uh, because of the quantity. But again, as you are saying, it's really a, a beauty a, a beauty type of vintage. You talked about. Um climate change and how you've changed some things in the cellar as well. How has your winemaking changed? Has it changed at all in the, over the course of 30 years? I'm sure there's been some changes, but even recently, has anything changed to respond to what the land is giving you? Yeah, big changes because before we could, do, we could play more, play, 
say play, but let's say uh, if before was a little bit more, uh, not easier, but uh, if you, uh, it's uh, hard to explain, but let's say the climate was easier in a way that uh, if we had something or you know, more, more, let's say, you know, f remember that, that Nebbiolo first is a tannic grape, so you need to work the tannin, and that needs time. Okay, time in vinification, time in aging, time in bottle, uh, and uh, and and when you 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 make a wine that spends a long time, especially in the cellar, of course you rock the wine, you move the wine. If before was easier to to do that, uh, no problem with air contact. Now it's a, it's very very challenging. So we try to make vinifications in general with no, we reducing the the really the exposed to, of, of the wine to, to oxygen, so all, you know, using a lot of nitrogen to, to avoid that, not racking, at, almost not racking at all for two years in barrels. Very, very, uh, we don't use new oak. I mean, of course, sometimes we have some new barrels, but, but uh, it's really because you need to rotate, of course, uh, the barrels, but also very, very neutral. Uh, so aging is really a process to mature the tannin, but really in a very gentle way. So the big change is being is being made is that you know really gentle, gentle touch in, in the way to express the vineyard as much as we can. Even vinification is very you know skin contact very long, uh, temperature quite uh, not too high, in order to have the the fermentation maceration very very long, which means. Uh, uh, 30 to 40 days of skin contact, which is a big, big change for Ratti. Before we used to have less uh, uh, skin contact, let's say 10, 15 days skin contact. Now we are about 30 to 40 days, uh, which uh, with a submerged cap. Very fascinating uh, technique. It gives a much more uh, complexity to a wine. Uh, we lose maybe a little bit of color to the skins uh, after uh, all the time, but we gain in, in incredible finesse, elegancy, uh, and especially complexity. And in that way, also the wine, when it's uh, wine straight in barrels, and the wine, again, stays in barrels for two years, no racking, then we put back the wine in, uh, in tanks and we bottle it. So it's really a, a very, very... Gentle, gentle, soft touch. That's what we, uh, I try to achieve to do, you know, uh, from, from the berry to the bottle, you know, from the grape to the, to the, to the bottle uh, with no, no manipulation at all. Okay. So, uh, which means that every vintage is different. Every wine is different. Every vineyard is different, but that expresses really that the unique of, of our terroir at the, at the very, very high, high level. Yeah, it's it's amazing um, to follow the wines over the years, and they've always maintained this consistency of elegance. But it's so fascinating to know that with that consistency actually comes a lot of change in order to respond to the environment around you. Um, you know, Pietro, I, I think we've had a lovely conversation, and, and I want to just close by saying that, uh, of course, Rati is a winery of incredible legacy but also that profound consistency, that unending march 
towards elegance, that continuous process to respond to the land, the environment, and always bringing lines of finesse and those unmistakable flavors of earth, mint, flowers, licorice, and with thyme, even truffles. Um, so I'll just close really quickly here with one uh, note from a book uh, that was released in 1990. It's a British book by an author by the name of Michael Garner called Barolo Tar and Roses. And he talks about the last time he saw your father. And he says, in deference to the ceremony that must always surround fine wine, we chatted about Barolo while the wine had a chance to breathe. Forbidden alcohol by his doctors, Roddy drank in the wine through its perfumes. Smell those truffles, that licorice, the flowers, the mint. The old flame rekindled. It seemed almost as if he were discovering Barolo for the first time. Anyone who would suggest that Barolo is not capable of delicacy and subtlety cannot have tasted a mature Rati wine from a great vintage. I think those words are as true now as they were then. Bravo on uh, all of the work that you do. I'm sure 30 years in, it, it, it's just your life. But to us, the wines are truly magical, truly of a specific place. So thank you. Um, we do have a couple questions from the audience, Pietro, that uh, we'll close with here. Yep. Valentina was wondering, um, the Rati wine is not currently imported to Russia, and she was wondering if you have any plans to uh, start exporting to Russia. Yeah, we have a couple of a couple of small customers in Russia. Uh, we don't we don't sell a lot to Russia. It's not really a big uh, a, a very big market for us. Uh, so we have a couple of clients. Yes, um, that we 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 do sell one in Moscow and. And then, uh, yeah, but uh, it's not a it's not a very big market uh, mm -hmm. compared to other markets. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Paul was asking, what vintage can a consumer experience a mature, co complex Barolo? I asked this question with respect to collectors who want to taste classic Barolo now with bottle age. So. Is there a specific vintage where you feel like maybe that kind of primary aromas of Barolo are starting to turn to primary and secondary aromas are starting to turn to tertiary where you think there might be a balance? I know 2016 was a classic vintage, for example, but those wines are probably very long lived. Um, I recently enjoyed a 2009, which I thought was absolutely beautiful. Are there any other vintages that you think would that sort of capture the great complexity of Barolo? Oh yeah, there are so many. But of course, the problem, as you are saying, you're right. I mean, 16, uh, six, 16, 15, there are still vintages that you can still wait. 13 as well, very classic, uh, solid, uh, firm, uh, still wait. Uh, I would go maybe even 10. I would go maybe to uh, 12, uh, 11, you know, vintages that they get now, what, 10 years of aging, so uh, it's a good stage. And then I would go to uh, maybe in, uh, the one of the top that uh, is really, it's, I think now, I mean, I see, I talk about my, my Barolo, and then I don't know, in, the, in general, but like 2000 now is uh, perfect drinking, perfect drinking, because it's, I don't know how long ago, it was a warm, warm, nice vintage. I tasted recently, it's really very nice uh, that you can, it's not a vintage to wait, uh, 99, maybe uh, you can still wait, but of course it's also beautiful. So, but you know, a, a wine. But remember this, you know, Barolo is a very 
predictable wine, okay? In the way that now we have 18, for instance. Four years old, we know more, you know, more floral. It's already developing, but it's beautiful now, of course. Then we move to, a, let's say, another uh, five years time. So wine, they have 10 years life. Then you start to get what you, are, you, you were saying, John, you know, a little bit of third, uh, tertiary, ter, ter, tertiary aromas. And then you get a certain level of, so all wines are uh, around 10 years, you, you get those, you know, a good balance of youth and, and age. Then if you want to indulge yourself to a more uh, aged wines, then you, you move to a 15 or 20 years and then you get more of these, uh, of course, the aroma, truffle, mushroom, uh, you, you really can play on that. Of course, you need to adjust the food to, do, to those type of, of wines. But it's very predictable in stages, you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and, and so on. Then the 30 years, of course, is a big, um, uh, it's another challenge, it's another style of wine, of course. Then it can go even to 50 years. But in the first 20 years, you really can play based on what you want. But just remember that war vintage, they anticipate a little bit. Cool vintage, they postpone a little bit. Okay, that's the, the, the main difference from uh, a warm to a, to a, so like 99 and 20, like 99 and 2000, 2000 is ready to drink. 99 is still young. Uh, 2001, uh, maybe still, uh, or even 01, you can still wait. So that's, uh, that's always the way, but it's a very, very predictable wine. So if you like youth, stay in the, in the last, you know, 18, 17, 16, 15. If you like a little bit of age, go to, uh, you know, uh, 12, 11, uh, 10, 9, 8. Uh, if you want to have a little bit more, even more age, go to 2000, you know, 1, 2099, uh, 98, you know, 97. Yeah. And just to wrap us up, I, I think it's, it's important to note, too, that um, if a wine can age, that doesn't mean it's not delicious now. I, I really do like some of the current vintage. I like drinking Barolo on current vintage. I find the wines just as magical now as, as sometimes as they are in 10 or 15 years in some cases. But, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a wine of incredible length. And that legacy of your father of bringing that kind of cleanliness to the winemaking, that, that approachability in the, uh, in the early stages of the wine, it's, it's really what um, I think has made Barolo such a, a massive success across the globe. It's an amazing legacy, but uh, you know, 30 years on Pietro, uh, you have left quite the legacy of your own. So thank you for spending the time with us today. Really appreciate it. It's always a wonderful conversation with you. And I know that I will see you next week in Verona. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our new Maze Row Wine Merchant series. The focus is on excellence, family, legacy, sincerity, and innovation. Tune in next Saturday for the next installment featuring another in-depth and intimate conversation with the heritage Italian wine producers that form the core of the Maze Row Italian wine family. To learn more about Maze Row Wine Merchant and today's featured producer, see our show notes and visit their websites. Don't forget to subscribe and like our show and tune in to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your pods. Hi, 
Hi guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.